This show is presented by the 323 Network. You can watch all your favorite 323 friends and shows on the 323 Network YouTube channel. Follow us on all social media platforms at 323read. And support us as we continue to grow at patreon.com slash 323read. That's 323-R-E-I-D. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the 323. I am your host, Reed Murphy. I'm really happy for you. I'm going to let you finish. Who the fuck is that guy? Look at the show. I'm the company. Welcome to the fucking show. Fuck Scott. That's right, folks. That music boy means one thing. It's another installment. College Shame Day here presented by the 323 Network. I am your host, Scott Elia. And I am not by myself this week because we have the grand poobah of the 323 Network himself here with us today. Mr. Reed Murphy. How you doing, Reed? I'm doing pretty good. I like I've never been called a grand poobah before. I'm cool with <laughs> it. <laughs> well, well, hopefully it's not a cancelable offense at this point. So, no, it's me. It's not. It's not our other usual co-host. I think it, we could get. I think you can get away with it with me. I'm okay, ambiguous well, enough. I'll, you know, we'll test the waters next time. How about that? That works. Oh boy, but yeah, folks, it is. I finally recovered from the week one, just craziness. If you are a fan of this of the three two three network, you already understand that Reed and I especially when NFL season comes around, we have a massive hangover show and we're kind of digesting everything. And when it comes to college football, it's like you're being just, you get past that point of like, I'm full. I don't want anything else. And you just keep getting food shoved down your mouth. Like a, you're at a bad Thanksgiving dinner. Cause there was a whole plethora of just craziness off the wall antics that happened this past week. Um, kind of to recap the week one and read, I want to ask you a question after I rattle these games off to you. I'm going to kind of stay within the top 25. You have Georgia who's ranked number one, completely crushed UT Martin 48 to seven, Alabama destroyed middle Tennessee 56 to seven USC over Nevada, 66, 14 Washington over Boise state 56, 16 Notre Dame over Tennessee state 56 to three Oregon which I know you saw this Oregon completely just demolishes Portland state by 81 to seven Kansas state over Southeast Missouri state Reed, Have did you ever knew that was even a college? Did you say Southeast Missouri state, Southeast Missouri state university, 45 to zero. See, okay. That's going to be the theme every week is now I'm going to look up notable alumni from Southeast Missouri <laughs> state. <laughs> and then rounding it out, uh, Number 20, Oklahoma over Arkansas State, 73 to 0, and Ole Miss over Mercer, 73 to 7. Now, Reed, these are the quintessential, stereotypical, whatever fancy word you want to use, cupcake games that a lot of these teams schedule the first week or two of the college football season. It's kind of like their get right game. It's kind of like a dress rehearsal for the rest of the year. But the question I want to pose to you is are Teams of this caliber, is it morally okay for them to schedule these kinds of games? I, uh, 
of the high caliber, I would say no, because all you're doing is just padding. In my opinion, all you're doing is just padding the, you know, the win loss record and getting yourself upright for that. You know, it's going to be easy and if shit, depending on the caliber of team you're going up against, you could very well hurt, really hurt somebody on the other side because you've got dudes that are of like a completely different breed and build for these Georgias and Alabamas now going up against Clem from Southeast Missouri state. So I don't know if it's morally right on their end, but if the other school really wants the money and it goes towards, you know, funding of their teams and whatever else in the school shit, that's, that's their prerogative. Right. And that's the thing, like you said, like these, these teams sometimes have no business playing each other. Like that Southeast Missouri state team doesn't even sound real. It just sounds like a created team that you find an NCAA football game or even Portland State. I would never even would have known Portland State was there, but you're 100% correct. I feel like it's kind of like padding the stats. I mean, like like, like we mentioned with Oregon going 81 to 7, you know, that's not going to be an every week occurrence for them. But where where my big question is as far as morality goes, it's it's almost like you're paying you're paying for wins. Because a win or a loss here or there, especially for these teams in the top 25 going into week one and week two, you know, every win counts. Because at the end of the year, that win might make or break your season as far as college football implications for playoffs and bowl games. So you start looking at the money aspect of it, just rattling off a couple numbers for you. These are things that I actually was able to find specifically for these games. George, uh, UT Martin is going to be making $500,000 off for that one loss to Georgia. And that's not even the biggest number. Yeah, it's 500 with, with three extra zeros on there. Oh, my God. Yep. Uh, Middle Tennessee, like we mentioned, uh, when they got just destroyed 56 to 7 to Alabama, they're looking at uh, getting $1.6 million. <laughs> Nevada, 1.35. Tennessee State, a million. Portland State, 575K. Arkansas State, 1.35 million, and then Mercer, 500K. I mean, it's kind of like, it's a trade-off because, yeah, these teams can get wins and they can kind of pad their stats, but a lot of these smaller colleges who don't have, you know, funding and alumni and alumni really donating anything to the schools and to the athletic programs, I mean, some of these numbers are bigger than what their budgets are year to year. So it's like, yeah, you're... You're helping the little guy out with money. They're helping you out with an easy win. But there's just something that just doesn't sit right with me with that. I mean, especially when you have a game like Florida State and LSU opening up the season, and that's like a marquee matchup. And then you have, you know, Texas and Alabama playing each other this week in week two, which is another marquee matchup. I'm sure LSU did not want that that L hand to them week one. They could have easily done what these other teams did and, scheduled some random in the middle of nowhere school, paid them a little bit of money, kicked their ass and sent them on their way. But I feel like for the, for the world of college football, being able to schedule better matchups like that FSU and LSU game, I think that's what could help draw more fan bases to grow for the future. I don't know how you feel. Well, and I also see where there's a strategy there and I don't totally respect it on the end of the you know, the high end schools where you're getting that AP top 25 ranking at the start of the year. So if you've got a, uh, 
you know Georgia or Alabama. So Alabama's ranked. What were they ranked at fourth or fifth to start the season? Uh, Alabama was ranked fourth to start. So they're ranked at fourth. And so if then like if Alabama starts their season playing uh, the T'Challa University to start the whole thing off, beat their ass, and then they just keep that fourth ranking and they just keep playing these small gimme schools over right. and over. It doesn't change their ranking, especially when they're beating them like 50, 65 to nothing. And then you have a school, which I, I commend LSU taking on FSU to start the season. I like that kind of matchup, that high number five versus number eight kind of matchup to start a year. And I wouldn't think that it would be fair for them to drop off that much when they took on a school that's actually supposed to be formidable, another ranked opponent instead of uh, Spider-Man School of Performing Arts. Germana Community College. (laughs) (laughs) See the Grizzlies going out there trying to go toe-to-toe with with Virginia Tech or something like that. Maybe they can get get some money. (laughs) UVA versus Nova. But no, you bring up a point, and this is why I think it was it was either last week or the week before that. That's why like I'm a huge proponent of not wanting these top 25 polls well into at least past week four. Get past a lot of these gimme games, these layups, you know, a lot of crazy things happen. You don't know what a team's gonna look like, you know, on the field. You kind of can understand where they could be on paper, but until you actually see the teams get out there and play, it's hard to tell you who's who's better than who especially when you have the number one team in the country, allegedly going out against UT Martin, you know, but I digress. I'll... I, I feel like the three, two, three should have its own university. Like we should create Ooh. some type of small school, sort of, sort of, sim- sort of similar to Bishop Sycamore, but you know, not with the, uh, the criminal <laughs> aspect at the end, but you know, we just create a small school. We put together a team of about, you know, 30 people and, Fuck it. We'll go out there, get our nice $400,000 from Virginia Tech nearby to come beat our ass, and we'll be good to go. <laughs> I'm all for it. I am. You You draft the paperwork, and I'll sign wherever you need me to sign. I'll see you on the first season of Last <laughs> Chance You. You know what? For, for fans of the show who listen to the main show with Reed on the 323, um, if you remember uh, last year, a certain somebody got laid out by some middle schoolers. So I don't know going up against grown ass men in college is the smartest thing to do. That middle school is our first recruit. <laughs> oh, there we can sign. Fine. We got to go. Where was that? Culpepper? Yeah, we'll get him. Oh, I'm going down to Culpepper. I'm we're going now. Up. We're going to hit the recruiting trail. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's just a couple little ga- a couple recap notes to do some housekeeping on. Um, and of course, there were some really great performances from last week. I wanted to open it up with, in my opinion, is the peak physical nature of the human body. I mean, you hear about these physical feats, you know, of you know, of moms being able to lift up cars during adrenaline rushes to save their baby, or you know, people jumping in the ocean fighting off sharks so that they save their loved ones. But in my opinion, the Oregon Duck had did a total of 546 total push-ups in that game, Reed. I don't know how well-versed you are in college traditions and things of that nature, but in Oregon, there's a tradition where the Oregon Duck does one push-up for every point on the board 
and it's after each score collectively. So he opened it up with eight, and then they scored again, and they got to 15 points. So it, he doesn't do another. He doesn't do seven. He does 15. So he went eight, 15, 22, 29, 36, 43, 50, 57, 64, 67, 74, and then 81 to end it for 546 push-ups. And he was spent. I feel like he earned a spot on the team. Oh, absolutely. If he's not on scholarship, he needs to be put on scholarship now. Right now. And then we're going to actually keep it in the Big 12. Um, we're going to go on the defensive side of the ball with UCLA edge rusher. I, I'm going to... I know my 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 strengths and my weaknesses, and names are not one of mine, so I'm sure I'll get canceled with this. But uh, Leatu Latu. Four total tackles, three sacks against Coastal Carolina. If you actually watch that game, that stat line doesn't really do it justice. But if you go back there and watch the tape, he was a nightmare in the backfield for Coastal Carolina. I am very impressed seeing that kind of production out of, you know, especially Chip Kelly's defense. Hopefully that kind of translates and he's able to kind of keep up that production. The upset of the week that I was extremely happy to see, Reed, was the out of nowhere win for Duke over number nine Clemson, 28 to seven with that win, Duke jumps up in the top 25 to 21 last week. They weren't ranked, but Clemson taking a drop plummeting down the board, 16 spots to 25. I was watching that game and I couldn't understand what was happening. I mean, you have a quarterback like Riley Leonard who went 17 for 33, 175 yards, no touchdowns, no picks, but he was killing him on the ground with eight carries for 98 yards and a touchdown. And then on the other side, you got a, a player who going into preseason, people were hyping up to be one of those dark horses for, for a Heisen with, with Cade Klubnick. You know, he went for a very mediocre 27 for 43, 200 yards, a touchdown and a pick. And it just Duke just did whatever they wanted to do to that team. And I, I know personally very well. It's not something that made it into the show, but you know about my my version of the Calvin Ridley betting slip last week. And I'll throw it to your audience because I was using your host audience. I was using your host, Scott Elliott, a lot of you know his advice and picks on these things. And I put together a 10-pick parlay last weekend. Ooh, buddy. I picked Iowa, boom, win. Kentucky, win. Ohio State, win. Washington, win. Wisconsin, win. Penn State win, North Carolina win, BYU eked out a win. I picked over 66 points for Nevada at USC. Boom, that happened. USC put up 66 points. Only thing I needed to get $81 off of a $10 bet was for Clemson to beat Duke. And God damn it, Dabo Swinney always disappoints for me. I'm tired of him. He needs to go the route of Tommy Tuberville. Just go ahead into <laughs> politics. You already hate all the kids. You hate the money they're getting. Just go into the politics and end it. I'm right there with you. The only the only re the only thing from that game and that upset loss to Duke that I feel bad about, it's not Dabo. It's not Clemson. Maybe some of the kids that are probably decent. I'm sure they are. But I feel worse for you because when I looked at that betting slip, you sent it to me and you were trying to get the advice. I looked at it and I didn't second guess that pick whatsoever. You know, there were plenty of other picks that I told you that you know, it might be scary, like that BYU game. I was like, you might be on the edge of your seat with that one, but hey, go for it. That one, especially with that being the last game to 
punch your ticket. I was thinking if he's going to go nine for nine going into that game, he might as well start ordering on Amazon right now because he has 80 bucks coming towards him. The only one I was worried about was that over 66. That was right, the only that was one because I one. figured that was the only one that could like you know really go a little bit sideways, and that was minus one ten. Even UNC at uh UN or UNC against South Carolina, that was yep. minus one thirty five. But the odds for Clemson to taking on Duke was minus five hundred. I was like, okay, this is relatively safe. <laughs> yeah, that UNC game was another one that I was kind of on the fence about because I was very interested to see what uh, if Beamer Ball was going to come out and Spencer Rattler was going to be able to squeak out an upset over UNC, which I'm happy he wasn't because I have my own personal feelings against Spencer Rattler. But I'll leave that for another day. Um, but going into, you know, to week two, I'm very interested to see if Clemson's going to be able to write the ship because they have two very easy games. They got Charleston Southern coming up, you know, this weekend, they got FAU, which in my opinion is one of the worst, if not the worst college football program in the, in the country right now. And then they go into that week four matchup at home against Florida state, you know, Florida state can keep up the hype and keep that momentum going into that game. And they're getting a lot of that confidence and Clemson's still kind of squeaking out wins and they're not really solidifying themselves as a powerhouse, not only just in college football, just but in the ACC with their performances. I'd be very nervous if I was Dabo and having that team coming in. But fuck them. I don't care that much about Clemson, so we'll do it. And then to round out performances of the week, this is something that I can confidently say that I did not see happening. Colorado quarterback Shador Sanders, 38 for 47 for a whopping 510 yards and four touchdowns against TCU. Now, mind you, we all know my feelings about the top 25. TCU, I think they lost about 30 kids from their program. A number of them are now in the pros. So the, the talent level and the, the, the roster they have right now is nowhere near that team that got demolished by Georgia in that, in that national championship game. But your TCU, you've been relatively stable for years. You know, you came into the season ranked in the top 25. You're at home against Colorado and, you know, essentially rookie head coach, primetime Deion Sanders. You need to be able to get the business done, which they didn't. They dropped that game 45 to 42. Reed asks me every single day, Scott, are the Raiders for real? And Reed, what, what's my answer every single time, no matter what the situation is? No matter the situation, no matter the time, no matter the day, the answer is always no. And it will always be that way. When I die and I get buried six feet under this worth, and on my tombstone says, Scott Elia, 1990 to whatever date that I got to get taken off this planet, it'll say, loving son, father, and avid hater of the Raiders. And that's what's going to be on there. So, Reed, I'm going to pose you a question now that you're on this show. Are the Colorado Buffalo, are they for real? Uh, I weirdly want to say yes. I'm rooting for them in a weird way. I think the great thing is it doesn't matter for them if they're for real or not. <laughs> like, they got everything they wanted from that first win. They can go winless the rest of the season, and it's perfect. But Hey, listen, um, they already tied I'll, their record from last year with that win, so I'll anything after this is gravy. I'll say yes. I will say that they're for real. I like the aggress the aggressiveness of going into the portal now that the, you know it's the Wild West in college football. I mean, look, that's what happened to Clemson. That's the problem with Clemson. Dabo hates it and wouldn't use the transfer portal. Dion used the hell out of the transfer portal. How many wasn't it like fifty 
52, 51 or 52 transfers that he got. Yep. That brought that he brought into Colorado. And I think, you know, you have a legit quarterback there in Shadur. And then Travis Hunter is it, yeah, it's Travis Hunter who's on uh, the corner who's just freaking insane. Yeah, he's that dual threat Charles Woodson type of player. You know, he plays wide receiver. He had 11 receptions for a hundred and at least 110. It was 110, 115 yards. Um, and then he got the t- touchdown. Yes. And then he plays corner as well. And he got that last minute interception right there on the goal line, which eventually was the the, the game winning interception, which was great for him. But he, I, I worry about his durability. You know, he played both sides of the ball in high school in Georgia. He played both sides of the ball in Jackson State when he was there with Dion from the beginning. And then now he went for 129 total snaps. And I just worry that that is that a great number? Absolutely. I would commend him having just that peak physical ability, being able to, to maintain that. Cause I know even in my heyday, there ain't no way I'm doing 129 snaps. I don't care who I am or what I'm playing or who I'm playing. It's never going to happen. Can't but snap I just my wor- fingers 129 times. Oh, shit. <laughs> but I just, I just worry about durability because I mean, you look at their schedule and who they have still slated to play. I mean, they're going to be at home. They have their home opener next week against Nebraska, which they, they went to bat with Minnesota last week. So, I mean, I, I, it, would I be surprised if it was close? No, but I'm expecting Colorado to win after that performance. But then you got Oregon, USC back to back. Then you're on the road in Arizona in October. It's still hot as fuck down there. Stanford, UCLA at home against Oregon State, and then closing out the year on the road at Utah. And Utah has been a very, very solid program in the Pac-12 for the last couple of years. So if he keeps maintaining 120 plus snaps. From here on out, it's nothing good can come from that, right? I wouldn't say so. And I and obviously he's gonna have to make the call, just like Woodson. He'll have to make the decision to go one way just to preserve himself, like what you're talking about. But I think right. it definitely helps. He'll definitely try to go for at least a few games, a few games or more of the season, and probably here and there from there on, because it's gonna be it's the only way, unfortunately, that a defensive player can win, can go for the Heisman and make yeah. a legit shot at winning it. He's got to do all of this. I think his – I don't know what your thought is, but to me he's a nat- – I think he's a special, special being at corner because if he can play that oh, position yeah. whatsoever, yeah, that's the one you need to play. That's the shit that you can do. If you can play corner and hold on to somebody and do the things that he does – Boom. Yeah. He's got the mind for it. He's got the ability. So yeah. He'll oh, make yeah, that absolutely. call at some point. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's uh, cause he, even going back to high school, he is a gamer. He's a baller. He's going to try to be on that field as much as he possibly can. Like he just loves the game so much, but I think it's going to come down to Dion having that talk with him at some point this season say, Hey man, I, I, I appreciate you. I appreciate all the production and the hard work and the grit that you're bringing in the field. But this is your second collegiate season. You got to protect your body, especially if he wants to be able to make it to the NFL and have a long, illustrious career, just like Dion did. You, you got to take care of yourself at the end of the day. And to your point, am I rooting for Colorado? Absolutely. It's a great story. I am not taking anything away from Dion. This roster is top to bottom filled with athletes. 
And I think that's one thing that kind of gets kicked to the wayside, especially with his utilization of the transfer portal and with it being still kind of a relatively newer way of teams getting it done. I mean, look at Texas State. Texas State did the same thing, and they have a huge, a really nice roster. Florida State and Mike Norvell has been bringing in kids in the transfer portal every single year. I think a lot of those marquee names that Florida State have all came from other schools. Um, I think that's more shade being thrown at Dion since he is still relatively new in the college football world as far as a coach goes and still using a newer way of building a team through the transfer portal. That's more just, I think, just hate getting thrown at him. But I think not only just durability concerns, especially with that kind of a workload, I'm really worried about that Colorado defense as far as like their rushing defense goes. They had absolutely zero pressure on TCU's quarterback, not a single sack recorded or anything like that. And then their uh, Imani, Imani Bailey, the running back for TCU, went for like 160 yards. And then Sanders, Trey Sanders, um, had about, I think it was, two or three touchdowns. I'm pretty sure it was three touchdowns, but I mean, they were still having their way. Did they have a, did they have a stellar game on offense? Absolutely. You put up 45. You can't ask for more than that, but you still let TCU put up 42. If Travis Hunter doesn't make that interception at the end of the game and TCU scores that is Colorado still getting the hype, the amount of hype that they're getting right now, or are they kind of just meh, just kind of moving on to the next story. It's definitely, it definitely would have been more like, oh, there might be something here. There might be something right. here, but it definitely, it would not have reached the level. I mean, he took over. He stole the weekend. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and you have Colorado now ranked, I believe, 20, what are they ranked right now? 22, 22. Yeah. Cause Duke was at 21 and Colorado's at 22. So yeah, they broke into the top 25 with that win. So, but Hey, from here on out, Dion rooting for you, Florida state legend, which nothing but the best. He's doing a really great thing in a program that has been lackluster to say the least since the nineties. So hopefully he can keep it up. Hey, the bigger success he has probably the sooner he'll be at a FSU. I don't know. Mike Norvell's doing a great thing. I, unless Mike leaves to go somewhere else. That's where, unless Mike, that's where that comes into play. Yeah. <laughs> Mike I, Norvell I think gets it, that Clemson job. That would be wild. Dabo leaves and Dion jumps ship and goes somewhere else. I mean, I've always felt like this Colorado team has been more of a stepping stone for him anyways. So that way he can prove to everyone who's talked shit about him that he can't win at that level. If he's able to even muster positive 500 winning percentage at Colorado, especially taking over a team that had one total win last year for, and he maintains that, that level of success, success, especially once they drop, they jump over to the big 10. I think that's just going to play dividends, play out dividends for him in the future to get that next big job. But Hey, it is what it is. But since we were on the topic of Shador Sanders and his stellar performance, I wanted to get your thoughts on a couple Heisman hopefuls. And of course, these names aren't anything familiar to those who keep tabs on college football. I think Shador Sanders is definitely in that discussion now with that with that production he was able to have last week against TCU. If he keeps it up, hopefully he stays in the discussion. But then you have players like Oregon quarterback Bo Nix, who went 23 for 27, 287 yards and three touchdowns, no interceptions last week. Notre Dame quarterback Sam Hartman, the transfer from Wake Forest. That's a really great story. Um, I don't know, Reed, if you ever watched the QB1 Netflix store, uh, Netflix special about the high school quarterbacks. 
No, I never saw it, but I but I always uh, heard I saw clips from it and heard great things because that followed Fields and Trevor Lawrence yeah. too. Yeah, uh, it was Fields and um, you had Spencer Rattler on there for a season. You had um, Sam Hartman was on there for for a season, but being able to see his progression as far as a fan goes and seeing what he was able to do in high school in North Carolina to a team that really had no business competing with anybody and then seeing how much he was able to produce in Wake Forest and him kind of battling his health issues and being able to battle back and get back there. And now he's on what some people say the biggest stage in college football at Notre Dame and just having a really great solid year so far. You know, like I said, 33 for 40, 445 yards and six touchdowns is a great testament to just his I hate using this word because it always describes that kind of a player, his grit, to say the least. That and moxie. The moxie, his, the gym ratness, first one in, last one out kind of situation. Then rounding out, going back to that, that Pac-12 conference, you got Washington quarterback Michael Penix Jr., 29 for 40, 450 yards, five touchdowns. I think that's one thing that's kind of a little quiet, especially when you have all the hype with Colorado. You have all the stuff that's going on and storylines with the USC. And now, you know, Jordan Travis is up there now. I think he, right now he's ranked like, I think he has the second best odds for the Heisman as it stands right now, especially after that very impressive win against LSU. Went 23 for 31, 342, 342 yards, four touchdowns. He had the interception, but he also had a rushing touchdown, which was really a nice, you know, production from him. But when we talk Heisman, for this year, one name is always at the top of the list. And Reed, you know who this is. It's USC quarterback Caleb Williams. And has he had a start to the year? 36 for 49, 597 yards and nine touchdowns. No interceptions. He won it last year. There's been virtually no repeat Heisman winners except for, I think, two. Um. Do you think he has the ability, or not even just the ability, do you think the odds of him being able to be one of those very, very few two-time Heisman winning players at this point, or do you think something's going to happen? I, I'm i low-key rooting for him to get that second, to do the repeat. I mean, he has all the ability to do, looks like, he, he's reminding me somewhat of Burrow that last year at LSU. And I mean, has this kind of like Mahomes level ability, his elusiveness is insane. So he's such an incredibly exciting quarterback that I totally feel like he can, you know, hold on to the pressure. And it's what Lincoln Riley does. Lincoln Riley produces nothing but Heisman quarterbacks. This is definitely who I believe to be his best one yet from you know Hertz and Baker everybody that he's uh coached Rattler this is definitely the best and I I could see if it was I I think Travis Hunter and your boy at FSU Jordan Travis will be competitive for it but I don't see any reason why Caleb Williams wouldn't win Absolutely not. And I don't know why the name was escaping me as, as soon as you started talking it just clicked in my head that Archie Griffin is the only the only player to get that back-to-back Heisman trophy, the quarterback from Ohio State from yesteryear. Um, but no, I think 
I don't see any, I don't see him slowing up. I don't see that USC offense slowing down, especially with their question marks and defense. I think they're going to get a lot of points scored on them throughout the year. And the only way to kind of overcome that is going to be him playing at such a high level. And if he has anywhere near of a season that he did last season, I think it's going to be very hard for somebody else to kind of sneak in there and take that from him. And of course, with the with the conversation of Caleb Williams, Reed, I want to ask you since we we talk a lot about of the NFL, what's going on in Arizona right now? Mm, nothing good. <laughs> Just a big pile of oof. I don't even know right. who the quarterback's supposed to be for Week One. Josh Dobbs, Ugh. I believe. Oh God! As Ball soon as, I, as, soon as, he, as soon as he went over there, old NASA boy. That was the last person. He was the fr- the last person I wanted to see a start a game in the NFL this year, and also the first name that I could think of that can lead you to a particular college quarterback that we were just talking about. Yeah. So my question would be: I have been chewing on this for the last eh, two, three weeks, a little bit, ever since it's kind of been the the writing on the wall that Arizona's tanking right now for. Caleb Williams, who looks to be projected the top quarterback and top player drafted for next year's draft. If he comes out, if he comes out, my question would be if you're Caleb Williams and you see Arizona blatantly tanking and you've seen the amount of quarterbacks that have come and gone in Arizona and the, uh, the, the, the inept non-direction of Arizona. I mean, hell they still make their players pay for their meals. (laughs) If you're Caleb Williams, you're this your junior year. You had a great sophomore year. You got a Heisman Trophy. You've already cemented your name in the record books forever. You have another stellar year this year. You still have a senior year. You're making money on the NIL. I think he's, I think when I looked at his NIL evaluation, I think he's a little over 2.6 million in NIL money. And he's a college kid. Doesn't have bills. He's living on campus. He gets food for free. He has top-notch care at all times with that USC medical staff. So if you're Caleb Williams and you're seeing that Arizona is sitting there at number one and you know without a shadow of a doubt that they're going to take you, are you even declaring for the draft? You're saying, fuck it, I'm going to come back for my senior year, ball out again, make more money on the NIL, only have to play half the season, and then once January's passed and you're past the college football playoffs, you're hanging out. You're not doing anything. I I think I think you got it. You nailed it right on the head. And it, it, a lot of it comes down exactly to that NIL money. It's something I don't think the NFL ever accounted for in that you would have guys, you would have a Caleb Williams, hell, even an Arch Manning that are making more money than a lot of your quarterbacks that are still in rookie deals. You got right. Trevor Lawrence, who's making, I think, um, I think, what did they say the stat was like uh, about 700,000 less than what Caleb Williams is making off of NIL this year. And why, why would you force yourself to go to a organization like Arizona? You see, it's just what you, it's everything that you said. The organization has been poorly run and cheap for years. And, if you start to see like a team like the Raiders, I would say if Vegas somehow gets into the you know number one pick conversation, or if it's Houston, maybe, but even you know because they could trade it out. And if you really start declaring, hey, I'm not going to Arizona, that will tank their trade leverage. And 
shit. If it's, you know, someplace like Vegas where you know that you can live really well and have fun and get a lot of really good endorsements in that area, Mm -hmm. sure, you'll go out to the NFL, but there's nothing. There's nothing for Arizona. There's nothing that he would get from that. And it would be a bad look. It would be the second time that the Cardinals have done it where they had a number one, you know, a first round pick in Josh Rosen and then dumped him after a year for Kyler Murray. And then what, you get a few years with Kyler Murray and a big contract extension. They're ready to dump him. What's to say they're not going to do that to Caleb Williams. Right. He starts asking for more money and isn't, you know, maybe the team isn't producing because it's so poorly run. So no. Yeah. If I'm, if I'm Caleb Williams, I would not go there and I would fully use this leverage to do it. You have everything you need at USC. Yep. He's in, he's in Los Angeles. He's in Southern California. He really wants to trade that in for Glendale, Arizona with 120 degree heat and having to worry about the, just the complete, just debauchery of that organization. And to give you the stat, um, outside of Trevor Lawrence's signing bonus of $24 million, which must be nice. Um, he set his base salary set at $940,000 this year. And the next year it's at just barely over a million. So yeah, why the hell am I Caleb Williams? Why am I coming out for a base salary? Yes, I can get that signing bonus, which is great. That's awesome. But if I'm coming out, if I can make, you know, a good amount of money in college and stay and have the college lifestyle for a little bit longer and kind of do what I want to do, why would I come out? wait another year, see what happens, and just go with the flow at that point. Hey, he shouldn't even just, don't even declare for the draft. Just come out, don't declare for the draft, and just sign as like a like a free agent to whoever he wants to go to. Honestly, I would love that. Or just like really, like have a, have a couple business meetings with The Rock and get as much money, the XFL. Some, get some, get as much money and some ownership investment with he the messy yeah well, yeah like messy yeah and you know obvious and i've thought about that and that's a conversation for another day where i've thought about you know <laughs> players like like a stetson bennett or you know a sam hartman guys who are like stars in college but might not get drafted very high or drafted at all Fuck it, right go to the xfl immediately and be the right. superstar right there i guess that's a discussion for another day on a different show it is we'll get it done. <laughs> we'll put a pin on that Oh, folks, but it, all I know is after kind of taking a deep dive in a lot of these Heisman candidates, it's going to be a very, very fun year. I'm very excited to see what not only this next upcoming week has in store, but the future weeks here on out. But we kind of, going back to something that we kind of tipped my hand at, that Florida State and LSU game, if you don't remember, that was my official inaugural in, in, is that a word? Inaugural. There we go. Now we got it. College shame day game of the week. Number eight FSU going up against number five LSU. And boy, was that fun to watch. I mean, it was a little rocky going into the first, going into that second half, going into halftime. Wasn't sure what was going to happen, but FSU came back out just guns a blazing, just completely making Brian Kelly and his little comments look very silly. With that win, Florida State jumps up four spots to number four. LSU with that loss drops down nine spots to fourteen. Do you think do you think LSU is going to be able to kind of? I hate to use the term, no pun intended. You know, claw their way back up the rankings after that loss. I I think they looked good enough. Jaden Daniels is fun. 
and he looks like a very you know he looks like a strong enough quarterback I think they'll get back up there but I think that's a that's a hard loss it wasn't like they just if they had just lost close sure it wouldn't be as bad but right damn they got their ass beat in the second half yeah I don't know I mean of course people close to me understand my my thoughts on Brian Kelly and the Brian Kelly effect and how it plays out into these teams that he coaches but it doesn't shock me but no, I, I think you're 100% correct. I think with that being such a substantial loss, it's going to mean a lot more than what the loss was last year where they only lost by a point. You know, I think it's going to play out a lot further down the road, especially when you look at their schedule. I mean, their schedule is not easy by any means. Of course, they they come back next week at home, home opener against Grambling. That should be a get-right game. But then they're on the road at Mississippi State, which could get a, be a very squeaky get-away-from-them game. They're at home against Arkansas, which people are sleeping on. That Arkansas team is very talented. I would not be shocked if LSU drops there. And then they're on the road back-to-back against Ole Miss, Missouri. They're back at home against Auburn. But then they have that late-season game at Alabama. I think if Alabama is keeping the steam right now and they're, they're, win- they're undefeated by that game, I would be very nervous if I'm Brian Kelly and that LSU team going to that kind of environment. And because by that point, all you're giving at Alabama team is swagger and confidence. And if there's one coach you don't want to play with when he has that swagger, it's Nick Saban. I, I saw him wearing the, uh, the rock and the crimson tide suit. He brought it back out for the Pat McAfee show appearance for Saban Thursdays, apparently. Mm-mm. Oh my God. But, that was last week. Let's look forward to this week. We're on the topic of Nick Saban in Alabama. And that's where College Shame Day's week two game of the week is heading. Number 11, Texas is on the road at number three, Alabama. I don't think this is a question in anybody's mind. This is the game of the week across the board. I mean, you have you have Texas going on the road. You got quarterback Quinn Ewers. I think what he needs to do is just attack and attack early and do not let up on that gas. I think Alabama still has a good amount of question marks. I know their secondary is pretty stout. Their offense is kind of suspect right now with some, you know, we got Jalen Milrow. He's back there, the new starting quarterback for Alabama. But I think it's really important for that Texas defense to get after him and force those mistakes that he's going to be inevitably be making at this point. And then for Alabama, like I said, if Quinn Ewers needs to attack that defense, that defense needs to step it up neutralize those wide receivers that Texas has. I mean, they have, they're having a couple identity issues at running back right now, but they got that three-headed monster on the outside in their wide receiver core with Worthy, Mitchell, and Whittington. I'm very scared of them. I, Kool-Aid McKinstry is going to have his, hand, his hands filled with those. Um, I think being able to try to force some turnovers, that's a big, big key. And getting off that field, I don't see this Alabama defense being able to hang in the game with that high-powered Texas offense if they can't get off the field, if they're going these long drawn out drives, they're getting winded by the second half. It's only going to get worse, but there is good news for Alabama fans. And that's Nick Saban is 28 and two versus former assistant coaches. And if those of you who don't know, Steve Sarkeesian, the head coach for Texas, he was an assistant coach for Nick Saban for a couple of years. Um, he got hired on in 2016 and then left in 2017 for the Falcons OC job after your boy Shanahan left to go to the 49ers. And then after his little stint in Atlanta, in the Atlanta Falcons in the NFL, he came back for 
2019 to 2021 when he took over the the Texas head coaching job, but he still was on that 2020 national title team. He he's been around the game for a long time. He's really smart. He knows what he's doing, but it's, it's hard to bet against that record and Saban with 28 and two against his former coaches. I feel like everybody's been a former assistant coach for Nick Saban. I think I was a former assistant coach for Nick Saban. <laughs> I think Nick Saban's college coaching tree in, in college is reminiscent of like Bill Parcells and the NFL. Everybody ends up, if you actually look at that list of all the head coaches right now in the FBS that were head that assistant coaches for Nick Saban, it is wild. It's way too many for me to just rattle off the top of my head. I'll let you guys go do the homework and just look at it if you're just kind of interested. But that is the game of the week this week. Just a reminder, number 11, Texas at number three, Alabama. It's going to be a doozy. I'm very excited for it. Of course, we are Florida State has Southern Miss at home. But I will be very interested to see what comes out of that Alabama game. And in lighter news, something that nobody really cares about, the lame of the week. Just to recap last week's Miami of Florida versus Miami of Ohio. Hey, Miami, Florida, 138 to 3. Whoop-de-doo. That's all the coverage you're getting. And then this week, an even worse game. Because if you want to see what bad football looks like, this is what you need to watch. It's it's a bad FCS team versus a bad FBS team. It's Tennessee Tech at New Mexico. Oof. Barn burner. No, thank you. Uh, <laughs> hard pass. Hard pass on that game. That's where they but pay good, you to watch. Oh my! I I would. It would be a lot of money. But I'm, I'm I'll pull for Tennessee Tech. I'll pull for the quote unquote little guy on that one. But. That is this week's lame of the week. Don't watch it. Don't tune in. Don't waste your time. Go mow the lawn. Go on a hike. Go do something productive. Don't waste your time. But that's it, folks, for this installment of College Shame Day. And there's no way better to leave you off than the man, the myth, the legend himself, Reed Murphy. Reed, thank you so much for joining us again. Can you remind the folks, though, where they can find you? Of course, they can always find me at 323READ, at 323READ, pretty much all the social media platforms. And of course, if you're watching this, you already know the 323 Network on YouTube. It's the best place to go. You can see our beautiful, shining faces, so much fun stuff. And just the 323 with Reed Murphy, we're available on all social media platforms and uh, everywhere you get podcasts and music. And just to, you know, close the loop here, I looked up notable alumni of Southeast Missouri State for you. Oh, you know, here I, we go. Oh, what a, was the last as a good executive producer? Michigan? Yeah, last. Yeah. The, <laughs> so Tell from me. Southeast Missouri State, not nearly as exciting, but more exciting than I expected. Cedric the Entertainer, alumni of Southeast Missouri State. Uh, Rush Limbaugh is an alumni of Southeast Missouri State wow. and former Patriots offensive lineman Dan Connolly, also Southeast Missouri State. Wow. See, that's the that's the the nuggets of information, the useless knowledge that could help one day help you in some kind of trivia contest down the road where you need to know some kind of alumni and you're welcome. I I I don't know about you Reed, but I fully expect if one of our listeners wins some type of prize based off of that information alone, we better get a cut of something. Hey, especially if you wind up at like a three, two, three trivia night, if those, you know, start to happen a little more frequently outside of awesome cons, man, 
Other than that, folks, I'm going to leave you off with one little bit of wisdom. If you're not going to be good, be good at it. Have a shameful day. See you next time. Fuck Scott. Yeah, I like that. <laughs>